We should uh, discuss this over bourbon and steak. Seven. And cigar. that's what we did in that's the 70s. Four, five, and and six, cigarettes. Seven. Major electric, why, of course. I heard Mike's department is looking at the electric company. There's a lot of shady goings on <laughs> in the electric company. <laughs> I'll be looking into that. We're Don't anyone waste your time on. coming over here. I've got this case We're handled. Turn on the power. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Which Game First, where we boldly explore the hilariously huge world of board games. Did we find any hidden treasures you've been missing out on? Let's find out. First up this week, we book and run till the kings go wild in the card game Five Crowns. Next, we live beyond our means to make a splash in high society. And finally, through backbiting bureaucracy, we bust big business in anti-monopoly. I'm your host, Celeste Angelis. Now let's meet the rest of our brave and intrepid panel. Hello, I'm Evan Bernstein, and I still have my dice from the basic D&D set from 1981. Hi, I'm Ed Povolitis, and remember, there's no problem so big that a 100-ton mech can't solve. This is Joe Onfrey, just back from the historic peat bogs of Tierra del Fuego, and of my arms tongue. Hi, I'm Mike Grenier, and it takes two to make an accident. Our first game up this week is Five Crowns, designed by Marsha J. Falco. Producer was Set Enterprises, possibly S-E-T Enterprises. Uh, uh, Number of players, one to seven, ages eight and up. Runtime, 30 minutes. Uh, We were all at the table for Five Crowns. Wouldn't have it any other way. Ed, what'd you think of the game? Oh, this rummy game isn't over until the king goes streaking through the field. (laughs) (laughs) Evan, how about you? Hearts meets gin rummy meets crazy eights. I like trying all kinds of card games, and these kinds of amalgamations are no exception. And Mike, what about you? Uh, What's wild again? I know, right? Like, it changes every (laughs) Every single hand. It's bananas to keep track of. You could just count the cards in your hand, couldn't you? Well, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> hey, don't you don't you rain on my parade? Okay, sorry. <laughs> and Joe, how about you? It helps the game along that you're trying to get the fewest points. And as an avid lover of most card games, I have had a copy of this game, as Joe can attest, since it came out 22 years ago. And considering Ooh. that it's been steadily in print all those years, I am always surprised at how few people have heard of it. Joe, you brought this game to the table. Tell us a little bit about how it's played. The game is 11 rounds. It's a lot like rummy, only with five suits and without twos or aces. In the first round, everyone gets three cards. In the second round, they get four, and so on. As rounds progress, the size of player hands steadily increase, all the way up to 13 cards each in the 11th final round. You try to get runs, sequences of like-suited cards in ascending order, or books, which are three or more cards of the same value. Jokers are wild, but here's the kicker. Every round gets its own specific distinct wild card. Threes are wild in the first round, fours in the second round, all the way to kings being wild in the final round. I can't believe you found a copy of this in our attic, which is essentially a wasteland of uh, half-broken items. Yeah, so So, uh, I'm impressed. It's a unique-looking box. I've seen in drugstores, I've seen it everywhere, and yet when I talk to people, they've never heard of it. I mean, probably because it's less fun than gin rummy. (laughs) (laughs) I went right to the bottom, sorry. (laughs) 
it's very colorful, and I think the whimsical look of the cards makes it a little bit more kid-friendly. I noticed the ages on it are eight and up. Yeah, it's like having a handful of Lucky Charms. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I think that that is one of the departures from a standard 52-card deck that makes this worth having. Nice. This has a beautiful arrangement of royalty that is like ethnically diverse, which I really liked about it. Even from since 1992, it had uh, not just European looking royalty. So I liked mm. that about it. Oh, I didn't a even lot. notice that actually. That's yeah. interesting. There's yeah. a lot of mm. uh, extra cards in this game and it's a rummy game, but there's, your deck is actually 116 cards. The, yep. the cards actually consist of two 58 card decks, stars, hearts, clubs, spades, and diamonds. And then each suit has 11 cards, three through 10, jack, queen, and king. So when you think about it, you know, when one card is wild, there's actually six wild cards every round. Mm-hmm. To me, that makes it fun. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I love the idea of so many wild cards. And I'll tell you, when I was playing with my kids, boy, oh boy, they love that many wild cards. I mean, well, sure, you I know, can understand that. For yeah. kids, sure, uh, in good. the end, that the, uh, having that many wild cards out there, and it seems just from our experience, it made it very easy to go out. Right, which actually you go out too fast, I think, because I you know agree. I didn't even get a turn sometimes. Yeah, that's my problem with it. You go out too fast. You mean near the end when we had 13 cards in our hand? No, even right from the beginning. The very first round, I didn't even get to pick up, pick up a card. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. you go. This game goes out fast because you're playing 13 hands. You don't want those hands to go on too long because the game could start to drag otherwise. So I didn't necessarily mind that. And I think if, if you were a veteran player, you'd understand to expect that. Well, I, ex- I don't mind that it goes quickly. You know, that's a good thing in general. But it goes so quickly that I don't even get a chance to make a choice at right. all, like to pick up a card, except for that one extra mm. round you get when a person goes out. Yeah, basically, it felt like I got to pick up my card, start shorting it, maybe pick up one card, and oh, all right, let's put the card down and count them up. Oh, yeah, cool. Now I'm stuck with, uh, you know, 40 yeah. points in my hand. Two rounds. Two <laughs> right. rounds, I guess. That, that, that was interesting. <laughs> um, I think Evan had an excellent point about this game, that it's not so much about your choices and making good decisions. It's about... It's about limiting sort of the damage, in a sense. It's about uh, playing your hand as smartly as possible and not making... You're bound to make mistakes. Minimize your mistakes. That's it's what it so is. It's so easy to make mistakes yeah. because of all the wilds and because of the extra suit and because you're holding a bunch of cards. It Many times I put down a card I absolutely should have kept. And <laughs> statistically, it's considerably easier to get books than runs oh, in yeah, this game. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Right? Uh, yeah. The mitigating factor is that you do have two copies of every card in the deck, but yeah. Right. Well, let me explain what a book is, right? Just to remind people, a Mm. book is all the same number as many as you can get, right? Three or more. But a run is consecutive numbers and they have to be the same suit. A book doesn't have to be the same suit. Essentially, you've got 10 chances to get cards you need if you're going for a book, but in a run, you only have two two chances, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Am I right mm-hmm. on that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep, that's right, because yeah. that has to be the suit and the right number. If you're doing a run smartly or trying to, you're actually trying to get both four. ends of it, so probably four cards. Uh huh. Right, so it's still statistically a lot easier to go for those books. Mm-hmm. And also, if you see a card go by that 
it belongs in your run, it's much more heartbreaking than seeing a um, someone else discard a card you can't get access to that's part of a book you want because there's plenty yeah. more chances. Yeah, you could see yeah. what you're going for go away two turns before you can get your hands on it, and there's absolutely no way to go back on that. So <laughs> right. you, your whole yeah. hand is basically ruined by something somebody else did uh, two turns ago. <laughs> Sometimes it can switch gears in that situation, but... Well, there's there's rummy games where you can pick up several cards and then throw cards back down, right? Right, but you can't in gin. This is a lot like playing gin. And uh, if you're going to throw cards, a couple things to assume that you're not going to win the you're not going to win the round. Therefore, you want to minimize the amount of points in your hand. Get rid of your high cards. Get rid of your kings, queens, jacks first, especially early on. Especially the Joker. Oh my God! <laughs> yes. Joker's worth fifty points if you get stuck with Smack. it. Smack! It happened in round one. I didn't even get a chance to put a card up. Right. It was in round one because I <laughs> my first hand was I just laid my first hand down as soon as I got it. I didn't have to draw a card or Yeah, anything. that might be only one of the only circumstances in which you'd get stuck with a joker is early first, second round in which you don't get a chance to play anything in your hand or manipulate yeah. your hand at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Because stuck. otherwise everybody gets a chance to lay down some cards. When somebody goes out and they have a match, their whole hand matches, everybody else gets to put down after taking a final turn, gets to put down whatever matches they have so that those matches don't count against them. Mm-hmm. The only cards that count against you are the ones left in your hand. And going into the game knowing that the first couple of rounds are going to go fast and be brutal yeah. is a good, it's just, you know, then you can prepare better if you get a chance to prepare at all. Yeah, you have virtually <laughs> no control over your fate. <laughs> You're kind of more along for the ride in the game than anything else. But you don't uh-huh. go into a game like this expecting to have this sort of control that you have in other games. You know what you're getting into. Just, you know, enjoy it for what it is. I mean, I didn't find it very enjoyable to get a hand of cards, which I couldn't <laughs> yeah. play any of them, though. I kind of knew going in that Ed and Mike wouldn't like this game <laughs> because they felt that there weren't enough choices, right? But uh, so I gave some serious thought to what it is I do like about this game. And I think it is really about taking joy from an exciting thing that happens, whether or not you had a choice in it happening, right? So the best part of the game for me was the shock when somebody puts their hand down and you're like, oh my God, their hand is down. Now I have to do something with this hand, this mess I've got in front of me. The moment of reckoning. Yeah. The moment of reckoning is the joy, right? So the Scheidenfraude is what you like best about it. Actually, it wasn't so much Scheidenfraude because it's a what it's the shock that I get. Oh, it happened to Celeste as much as anyone. Yeah. We all felt the pain. <laughs> Just so basically the joy you got out of this game was the horror of this game. Okay, I'm already out of this game. All right, got it. Okay. I got what? Well, I love how many more rounds to Joe, cover through the You're not. You got 13 Wait rounds. Wait till... <laughs> <laughs> You know, in Teach You How You're Allowed to sort of uh, pass a couple cards in the beginning, I wonder if a convention like that would have would help this game. Yeah, it would have allowed for a little bit more strategy for sure. At least I would feel like I had some control over my fate. So there you go. Make a little rule modification there and you're good. House rules, baby. Love them. (laughs) I don't need house rules. We got regular rummy. (laughs) (laughs) And like regular rummy or or many regular card games, I think this one, you could easily make a bunch of house rules to sort of make it more interesting for you too. Okay, it's time to decide whether or not to dig up or bury five crowns. Ed, how about you? Oh, I definitely had some fun playing the game. I mean, we're all good friends here. But I feel like I was merely along the ride at times, and the few choices I had didn't really matter. So I would rather play with a standard deck of cards. So, bury it. Evan, how about you? 
it is tough for me to bury almost any card game. This one tested that limit a little bit for me. However, I think there are times when this game's appropriate. Parties, younger kids who are not into more sophisticated card games and such. So I'll spare it its earthen coverings and dig it up. Mike, how about you? I've seen more relevant choices to be made in a regular rummy and even 52 pickup. So I'd say <laughs> bury this. Whoa. Wow. <laughs> and Joe, how about you? I have literally dug it up in a sense. I mean, you get to have a lot of people with a lot of cards trying to keep their low scores lean enough and mean enough to get out quick. Well, Joe, don't lose heart completely. I would absolutely say dig it up too. I always have fun with Five Crowns and what a joy it was to bring to my kids for the first time. Uh, As I've said, they're eight now and boy, oh boy, did they pick it up fast and have a great time with it. Joe, where can you find this game? I found this on Amazon, Walmart, eBay, and it was well under $15 everywhere that I saw it. Well, if you have thoughts about Five Crowns, we would absolutely love to hear from you. Let us know if you play with your family. Uh, We are at Which Game First on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Our next game up this week is High Society. Designed by Reiner Gniza, originally published in 1995, the edition we played was Osprey Games in 2018. Number of players, 3 to 5, ages 10 and up. Runtime, 20 minutes. Ed, you brought this game to the table. Where'd you find it? I saw this gorgeous-looking reprint at a store. And tell us a little bit about how it's played. You are the cultural elite, the true icons of the age. That competition is fierce among the high-born and and nouveau rich. To assert your status and earn prestige in the eyes of your peers, show off your exquisite palate, your excellent tastes, but don't be caught penniless or be cast out as an imposter. Each player starts with 11 money cards worth 105,000 francs collectively. Each round, players bid on a status card drawn from the deck. Players bid by placing money cards faced up in front of them. When you pass, return all your bid cards back to your hand. The winner buys the status cards and starts the next bidding round. If the auction is for a disgrace card, then the players bid to avoid that card. The first player who passes takes the card, and all the other players lose their bids. When the fourth dark green prestige card is revealed, the game immediately ends. The player with the least cast is cast out as a scandalous imposter. The remaining player with the highest status is the winner. Well, we were all at the table for this game. Evan, what do you think? The question is, can you bid your way into high society whilst avoiding the pitfalls and traps of such an environment? We shall soon find out. Joe, how about you? Each character shown on the cards at auction certainly looks the part, drawn just right for the savoir faire, bon vivant flair, I guess. <laughs> and, and Mike, how about you? Grab your martini and get ready to keep up appearances. Okay, and Ed, how about you? Fashion is fickle, but style is forever. Yeah. Uh, I appreciate that theme is everything in this game, though I did disagree with the premise and I couldn't quite connect with the theme. I don't know if, if theme is everything in this game, honestly, like it's a really good bidding game as far as uh, the mechanics are concerned. Interesting because, you know, the way Ed was selling it and the way you guys sort of connected to it in your panel commentary implied that the theme weighed extremely heavily. And of course, on an auction game, you kind of want to be inspired by the story in order to be motivated to bid well, right? Well, yeah. I mean, I actually felt a connection to the way it worked. I'm not saying I wasn't connected to the theme. I'm just thinking that this game could stand well on its own without the theme, too. 
Oh yeah, I think the mechanics of the game are very solid. I think there's some really interesting choices just on which money cards you want to bid because there's different denominations on your card. So when you play that card, that denomination's not available for you. So it actually changes what numbers are available for you to bid next time. For me, the mechanics have to be seamlessly integrated with the theme like they were in, for example, a couple of other auction games. We played Modern Art, where you're playing a ga- um, a museum curator, and Networks, where you're playing a network executive. Nice, clean scenarios where I knew exactly the concept I was bidding on. And what's at stake, yeah. And I was able to sort of shape my thinking around it. This storyline that's in this game, and by the way, I agree with Ed, the art is absolutely beautiful. It's perfect for the setting. The version that we played had really exceptional art, not just like good quality, but highly stylized to the period. And uh, that was really nice. And they're they're on these extra large uh, cards as well. Yeah, they're like tarot-sized cards. Great production value. Yeah, that was definitely the best part of the game for me was the art. But uh, I didn't think that the story connected well for me. The whole thing seemed vague. I, I think it's sort of based on a bunch of people who never really were. People idealized, you know, lost generation authors like Fitzgerald and Hemingway and Gertrude Stein. But those people were not like that. It's the public personas of those people. It's not the way they were. Like you're saying, bidding money to not make a faux pas was uh, something that just was too abstract. You know, maybe it wasn't concrete. It sure wasn't concrete like buying a piece of art or buying up a network show. I'm going to double my faux pas. <laughs> double faux pas. <laughs> faux faux pas. Faux. What did you do? What did you do? It does mess up your strategy. You you have to deal with the negative cards that are in there. Yeah, the bidding strategy is completely different because it's a grim losers auction where everybody who puts a bid in loses that bid. And a normal bid, everybody takes the bid back that didn't win. Mm -hmm. Winning the auction on on a bad card means you didn't pay anything and everybody else did, essentially. Right, right. So that's a bit counterintuitive in a sense it makes you have to sort of stop and really think about that i tried to implement a strategy along those lines in which i tried to use the neg some of the negative cards to my benefit and actually try to make the game come to a quicker conclusion than than perhaps normal by drawing all the blue cards out but it didn't work i failed it's interesting because we didn't know when the game was an end that's part of their thing the first three prestige cards that would trigger the end came out pretty quickly so the, the fact that the last one was near the bottom kind of changed both of our strategies. We're mm-hmm. trying to, like, oh, it might end real now. Mikey has a lot of points. So you can right. try to get him poor. Well, I purposely did that. When I saw three of those cards come out, I purposely went for, like, a good solid amount of yeah. points, hoping that the last one would drop fast enough for me to win. But also you have to be careful of your money. If you if you have the least amount of money, you don't win regardless of your points. My money was low, but I knew that my points were high enough where people would be worried about it, so they would be bidding up each other, and hopefully that would get somebody low enough yeah that was a strategy that i noticed mikey spent a lot of his money so i knew he was low and i was like because you know, part of the strategy is trying to get people to bid up on something and then have them go, go poor because the poorest person is out of the game mm-hmm. so even if mikey had all these points if he ended the game with the lowest number of money then maybe i can squeak it in there 
Eight points. Money is pointless, Eight except ten. when you don't have any, which makes no sense. <laughs> that would have been 20. Thematically yeah, problematic. Yeah, you could have got me. You know, I went, I went for broke trying to get other people to overbid and spend too much, and, you know, that didn't work out too well for me at all. Well, for you, you spent every last dollar, so you were automatically going to be the lowest money person on the board. Right, that took a lot of the pressure off of Mikey when that happened. But the thing is, you mm -hmm. have to bid more than you would want to pay in part of that, in that strategy. If I can convince you that I really want it, it may appear more valuable to you, and you might you might overspend considerably. But I called your bluff, and uh, you end up spending all your money. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I shouldn't try to bluff you. I should know better than that. My mind was focused on the mechanics of the game. I, I really didn't even have time to sit back and think about the theme of the game and how it all ties in. Constant, I was too much concentrating on how to win the game and everything else became superfluous. And that was the real shame to me. They, they, they brought me in with all this beautiful art and they didn't give me a story that, that was compelling enough to go along with it. In the game about art, though, there wasn't much of a story behind it. There was a bunch of art, and then we made up characters for it. So I don't... Yeah, that's, that's an excellent point. Not every game needs a story. No, mm -hmm. like Five Crowns, for example. That's an abstract game of gin. But it didn't ask me to assume a storyline and then bury me in mechanics that are great, <laughs> but not super related. So... so you were sold a false bill of goods. How are you feeling, Celeste? Um, yeah, I guess I was disappointed. Yeah, for me, the, I think the, the key part with the, the, the auction part was the, the fact that the money was not really necessary, but necessary. You didn't want to have the lease, but you wanted to try to get other people to spend too much and, and just be just enough above the others and then whoever had the most points won. Yeah, the push and pull of that was really interesting. It's time to decide whether or not to dig up or bury high society. Joe, how about you? For me, this game seemed like the most appetizing sandwich I'd ever seen. But after playing a few rounds, I felt like I had nothing but a mouthful of bread and fancy condiments with not enough meat. I respect the ornate qualities of the art. It's not an easy call for me, but I have to say bury it. And Mike, how about you? Simple, but provides a lot of opportunity for interesting, consequential choices. It's a replayable, psychological, elegant brain burner worth digging up. And Evan, how about you? Putting the theme aside, uh, now that I've played it, I would like to retry a few other strategies that I have in mind. So for that reason, I'm going to dig it up. And Ed, how about you? It's an easy-to-learn game with plenty of meaningful decisions. This gorgeous edition can only improve your status among the bonviants. Dig it up. <laughs> <laughs> and for me, I'm going to say bury it. Loved the art, but if they had given me a clearer and more believable premise, I think I might have been happy to risk my fortune on success. Ed, where can you find this game? Uh, this reprint was recently released, so this game is available in retail for about 20 bucks. If you have thoughts about high society, let us know. We are at Which Game First on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And our last game of this week is Anti-Monopoly from 1973. We played the original version designed by Ralph Anspach and produced by University Games. Number of players, two to six, ages eight and up. Runtime, various, but it did say about two hours. Is that right, Evan? Yeah, suggested time is two hours. 
Oh, yeah. Suge- that's right. Suggested time. We'll get into that later. Yep. <laughs> so, Evan, where, oh, where did you find this game? One of my many online purchases of my eight board games that I bought all at once. This is the game that when it arrived, I had forgotten what I had ordered and lost track of which games had arrived and which one hadn't. So I didn't know what was in the box. We decided (laughs) to keep it under wraps until we could have a big reveal party for it. It was exciting. (laughs) So much fun. We took a video of that. By the time this airs, we'll have that video up online for you. So check it out on our website. We were all at the table for this game. Ed, what did you think? Maybe this will be the opposite of what I expect from a Monopoly game, but I'm not betting on it. (laughs) Mike, how about you? Oh, look, it's Monopoly. (laughs) Joe, how about you? This game was a hoot. If I'd been born 50 years earlier with the appropriate indoctrination, I'd have called it an underhanded communist plot to make bureaucrats look glamorous and heroic. (laughs) (laughs) Evan, how about you? Any game which contains a verse from the Sherman Antitrust Act of 1890 on the box is not only unique, but strangely tantalizing. Agreed. I agree so much. Evan, tell us a little bit about how it's played. The basic idea of the game is to end the monopolistic practices of the three company combinations on the game board. The players are trust-busting bureaucrats going about the board slapping actions on the monopolies. The winning trust buster is the one who ends with the largest number of social credit points when one of the other players run out of money. (laughs) And why did you bring this game to the group? This is a game I had heard about for quite some time but never had played before. So what's a more perfect venue than on which game first? (laughs) Yeah, indeed. (laughs) Looking at the box and hearing about this game, I thought for sure it was going to be a preachy socialist rant. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But it turned out to be a clever dark comedy. (laughs) It actually was. It was. And holy cow, the designer led a heck of a life. This guy, Rolf Anspach, born in 1926, grew up in Germany, volunteered for what? Two different armies? That's right. American army and the Israeli army. And he created the anti-monopoly game, which resulted in a 1974. And this is so perfect for the game. (laughs) For this particular game, it resulted in a 1974 trademark infringement lawsuit brought by Parker Brothers. Mm -hmm. In 1983, the U.S. Supreme Court gave the case to Ansbach. He won it. Yep. And he wrote a book about it, uh, The True History of Monopoly and His Legal Fight, called mm-hmm. The Billion Dollar Monopoly Swindle. Wow. Mm-hmm. So brilliant. Took on Parker Brothers head on. That's pretty, that's pretty cool. It's a good story. Yeah. It really it fits is. with the theme of this game, too. Yeah. It really does. And he is still alive, 92 years young. He couldn't join us today, but he sends his regards. Yep. He played, <laughs> he played via internet with us, though. not true not true okay (laughs) i loved this it was like an unapologetic theme pointing a finger at both big business and bureaucratic bloat (laughs) it was really fun so we were playing the bureaucrats moving around the board just like a monopoly board trying to break up these three spaces you know how monopoly has three yellow spaces well these were like three spaces of say a car manufacturing conglomerate that we were trying to break up Yep, and just like Monopoly, you're totally at the mercy of the dice. Oh, yeah. Uh, Pretty much. 
it took a little bit to grasp the rule because it's written in a slightly different style, but the best part is there's the glossary section which cleanly explained each of the terms. That's great. I mean, it was, listen, it was written by an academic. He, he mm-hmm. was a professor for a long time. This game was actually produced by a company called University Games. So it, it was approached academically for sure. And the rules do reflect that. But also, yes, they used a lot of mon- monopoly mechanics, but I thought to better benefit here. Well, I thought the rules were actually quite a bit simpler than a regular Monopoly game. Uh, once you understood the concept of what was an assigned case and uh, and trust busting, there are fewer rules overall once you understood that. Well, there was a lot of rules about how to like boot people out of the spaces they were in and stuff like that. I thought there was some confusion in that particular part of the rules. You would move around the board and just like buying a block on Monopoly, you would buy a space, meaning you were investigating that space for a Monopoly. That's right. Bringing an action against that conglomerate. But if another bureaucrat, one of the other players, placed their pieces, two pieces on the other two, they could boot the other bureaucrat out saying, nope, I've done more investigation here. This is now my assignment. That's right. Beat it, Buster. (laughs) I loved that theme. I've come to look at light and metal ink. Oh, Ed, you're here already. Oh, good gosh. Oh, my. Oh, I guess I got to pay a phone. Way. <laughs> Not don't, before you. Don't tell anybody I was reported, here. Reported, reported. <laughs> Waste, <laughs> like, <laughs> Waste of state time. I know. It was great for the theme. I thought it was terrible for the gameplay, though, <laughs> as far mm. as like enjoyment of the game. Like, oh, I spent a turns going to these spaces and then I'm just booted out. So I get a consolation prize of half my money back. Hey, hey you didn't have to you didn't have to invest your your budget money to to bring actions against. You could have moved yeah, along. Nobody but. <laughs> in any Monopoly game ever will pass a property without buying it. Well, you know, here's the thing. You did. We did compensate you. We give you back 50 bucks when we kick you out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you get half your budget Oh, you back. lost your turn. Here's 50 bucks. Enjoy. But, Mike, <laughs> let's face facts. You were, too, you were too busy running the interview circuit and being the face of the bureaucratic department. <laughs> listen, listen, right. listen. It's important to keep up appearances and to show everybody how awesome of a lawyer you are without actually doing any law work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think you ended up with no assigned cases, right? In the uh-huh. end of the game, I had one. No, I had no assigned cases at all None. in the whole course. It was yeah. funny because what we're talking about is just like a community chest in Monopoly, there is a mailbox mm-hmm. in Anti-Monopoly where you pick these cards and you read them. You read the mail. Oh, yeah. I, I love that, the way it actually looked like leaflets. Like an old piece of postage, yeah. A postcard with the little yeah. with the little stamp in the corner and everything. Yeah. And the, they were really clever. Again, possibly because they were written by an academic. They were cleverly written bits of information like... Oh, court decision. Court decisions that you'd get in your letter. It was so exciting. And the Supreme Court has ruled on things affecting your case. <laughs> right. And, and you either you either receive more budget money or you have to pay more budget money. Or you have to hand was, something over to another bureaucrat. Right. Or you might lose your case. It was so interesting. And then some of them, which were the ones Mikey kept drawing. Oh, yeah. You mean the useless yes. ones where I get a, an award to put on my wall, which doesn't even give me like the little courtesy of the win $10 in a beauty contest that Monopoly gives. No, it's just. <laughs> Congrats, right. you won a certificate. And I'm like thinking about looking in the rule book to like, what does that mean? Nothing. 
It does nothing. It, it wastes <laughs> exactly. your turn. No, 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 no. You're wrong. Morale boost. Morale boost. There. <laughs> be the best bureaucrat you can be. Yeah. Somehow it didn't boost my morale. I was angrier than if you had That's won right. money. I'm like, here I am running around the board trying to investigate all these people. And Mike is getting all the credit. That's right. All the accolades are coming here until the end of the game where I'm completely shunned because I have no cases. Whatsoever. Mikey sat back and waited for the kudos. Yes, right. I won in kudos. Congratulations. Yeah. It doesn't do anything. You made the choice. <laughs> that is so good. That is good. It makes you, you feel good. What are you talking about that doesn't do anything? You're walking around with this newspaper article under your arm for a week. You get a department have you thumbs seen, up. Have you seen? <laughs> but finally, finally somebody saw my value. Well, it's kind of interesting that uh, I actually had another version of anti-monopoly and come to find out it was actually a different version he put out originally called Choice, but then Anti-Monopoly 2. And then sometime in the 80s, he dropped the original version and just called this version Anti-Monopoly. So no confusion there, right? Yeah. But I thought, I thought the, bo- the box that we had said Anti-Monopoly on it, and wasn't it produced in 1973? Yeah, and the box I have said Anti-Monopoly on it, produced in 2007. Completely different game. Same name, different game. The game I have is basically Monopoly. I mean, it looks just like Monopoly. The properties are in the same location. He he figures since he won that lawsuit, he can just go for it. (laughs) That's right. It's a double-edged sword in a sense that now you can start calling anything anti-Monopoly and nobody has the right to stop you from doing so. Ed is saying it's actually from Onspock, but it's a completely different game. Yeah, his his game. But in Nick's version, you, you just... No, basically you played the basic Monopoly game one of two different ways, as a monopolist or as a competitor. Interesting. Very interesting. I loved the aspect of this game that it didn't really take a political stance. It had sort of a distaste for monopolies and a distaste for the government yeah. that was investigating them. Yeah, I was not expecting that. Yeah, I wasn't either. You might have been more of an anarchist than a uh, socialist. <laughs> no, just, you know, didn't want to see any set of power concentrated too much in either private industry or in government. So he's more of a libertarian than probably anything else. Yeah. Man, we should call him on the phone and see how cranky he is. (laughs) (laughs) All right. It's time to decide whether or not to dig up or bury Anti-Monopoly, the 1973 version. Ed, how about you? Well, I didn't expect much from this game, so it didn't really disappoint. (laughs) If you like Monopoly-type game, it's worth a look, but... This is one trust I'd bust, I'll bury it. Mike, how about you? Who thought combining the slog of Monopoly with the thrill of serving corporations piles of litigious paperwork could be fun? Not me. (laughs) 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 Bury it under a stack of Form 441B. (laughs) (laughs) Joe, how about you? I like the creativity of whoever designed the board, and I certainly admire the designer's nerve, but I have to judge this game as a game, and, well, the best word I can think of to describe it right now is (laughs) clunky. Uh, Dig it up for historical (laughs) interest, but uh, not as a game. Bury it. And Evan, how about you? I'm very glad we played this game. It's a neat take on the Monopoly game system. You have to do some unconventional thinking, though. I'm not sure how replayable it is. I'll play it maybe two or three more times. Uh, I'm going to dig it up. Yay! Yay, Evan! 
I am absolutely digging this game up. I don't even get what these guys are talking about. <laughs> I thought the mechanics were fun. I thought the theme was absolutely brilliant. And boy, oh boy, I could really get into being a bureaucrat on a regular basis. Oh boy. Uh, if I would, ch- I would choose this over Monopoly any day. In fact, I thought even though the mechanics were very similar to Monopoly and I don't like Monopoly, this game totally sold me on them because of the theme. And the backstory is great. Dig it up. Woohoo! If you have thoughts about anti-monopoly, please let us know. We are at Which Game First on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And that brings us to the end of our show. We look forward to hearing about all the game exploring you've done. Reach out to us on your favorite social media. We're at Which Game First on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. If you get a chance, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It does help others find the show. Join our chat on our Discord server. We are at Witch Game First, and our Patreon supporters get access to exclusive channels. Happy gaming, explorers! Have fun! Take care! Happy gaming! <laughs>